there's some truth to the old saying, adversity makes men, prosperity makes monsters. How did David handle the sudden wealth that came with his kingship? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shares some practical principles from David's rise to royalty that you can apply in your own life. From the series, The Tender Warrior, here's David to introduce today's message, David the King. Well, this is part one of a two-part message about the regal nature of King David and how he ascended the throne and what we can learn from the things that took place in his life. If you're looking for the scripture uh, to back this up, you will find it in Second Samuel, and we're going to be in chapters 2 through 5 for the next couple of days. David the king. I mentioned to you yesterday, David knew he was going to be king 15 years before it actually happened. Kind of a long on-ramp to his service, but we're going to learn much from these next studies in the life of David. And you know, you can get this all in a study guide format. There are two study guides for the life of David. They're available from Turning Point at davidjeremiah.org. You can also get the CD packages that go with this study. Use it for your own benefit or to help other people learn about David in their small group or in Sunday school. These materials are very helpful for inculcating the Word of God into your heart. That's what they're all about. Study materials to help you study the Bible. During this month, we're making available a very special resource called The God Shot from Tara Lee Cobble, creator and host of the Bible Recap Podcast. And this book is about the nature of God. It's really a beautiful uh, individual study of the attributes of God in daily packages you can read and enjoy. Ask for your copy of this book when you send your gift this month. And don't forget, friends, we're going to Israel in March, the 12th through the 22nd. Major sites, Jerusalem, Galilee, the Dead Sea, and the Jordan River. Artists during that time will be Michael Sanchez, Uriel Vega, and a lot more uh, information about that coming soon. But we're having an incredible registration for this event. We're already half through the number of rooms we have registers for. So you don't want to wait too much longer. If you're planning to go, we hope you will come and join with us as we tour the Holy Land. All right, here's David the King, part one. There have been 12 messages on the life of David since the message that was given concerning his anointing as the king of Israel. It was a wonderful day when Samuel the prophet found his way to that little household in Bethlehem, and there he met Jesse, David's father, and one by one he cycled through the sons of Jesse seeking for God's anointed. Finally, when he came to the end of all of the sons that were presented to him by Jesse, he asked, isn't there anybody else? And Jesse said, yes, there is one left, and he is out in the pasture land with the sheep. And Samuel says, well, go get him and bring him here. David is brought into the presence of the aged Samuel, and there he is told that he is to be the next king of Israel. To the best of our ability, we can pinpoint the age of David at that moment, at about age 15. It is striking to observe that from the moment when he was told he would be king, there were some 15 years that transpired before it actually took place. 
In the mind and heart of God, David was king the day he was anointed. But the practical reality for David was this. He had to wait. He had to wait on the timing of God. He had to wait on God's purposes and his program. But as we open our Bibles today to the book of 2 Samuel, the waiting is over. Now the moment has come. The moment for which David has been being prepared for the last 15 years has finally come. And what will he do with his new appointment? How will he handle his new success? It was the Scottish essayist Carlyle who once wrote these words. He said, adversity is hard on a man, but for everyone who can handle prosperity, there are a hundred who can handle adversity. The test of adversity is the test of our faith, but the test of prosperity is the test of integrity. We have learned as we have studied the life of David that he can handle adversity for he has seen more than his share. But now the greatest test this man has ever known is about to unfold before him. For as the king of Israel, he is going to know unparalleled prosperity. And what he will do with that will set the tone for the rest of his life. In the early days of his succession to the throne, we will learn much about David. The things to which he has committed himself. And we are reminded that the test, which is the test of prosperity, is one that God says David had passed. For if you remember in the early days of our discussion, we went to the 78th Psalm where we were told that David led the people of Israel after the integrity of his own heart. By the way, in case you have forgotten, integrity is nothing more nor less than keeping a commitment after the circumstances under which the commitment was made have changed. We will see that the integrity of David is untouched as he comes to this great moment of time and becomes the king of Israel. Now as we watch David function, now that the kingdom is actually his, we are given a great example to follow in our moments of triumph and victory. And I'd like to suggest to you five or six principles that are transferable concepts for each and every one of us in our own lives. What did David do when finally the kingdom was his? Well, the first thing that we note is he refused to rejoice at the fall of his competitor. David was unlike those who climbed the success ladders of today's corporate world. He did not rejoice when the man who stood between him and the position he wanted was finally taken out of the way. Last we presided over the first chapter of this second book of Samuel and noted the two things that David did when Saul died. First of all, he executed a man who had claimed to have killed Saul. And secondly, we are told that he spent a great deal of time in weeping and in mourning for Saul and especially for Jonathan. There's a wonderful lesson in this for all of us. If God should see fit to bless us and promote us, it is easy for us when we take the next position. If we are not careful to be critical of the one who held that position before us, and David refused to do it. He absolutely refused. In fact, as I have read through these next chapters in David's life, 
There are continual evidences that throughout his entire reign over Israel, David sought every opportunity that he could find to say good things and to honor Saul who had gone before him. But the next thing we note about David's coming to the kingdom is not only that he refused to rejoice at the fall of his competitor, but number two, he requested clear counsel from the Lord concerning his next move. It would seem reasonable, would it not, that if a man has waited to become king for 15 years, and finally the only thing standing in his way has been taken out of the way, that he would assume now's the time, this is my moment, and let's get on with it. But interestingly enough, when Saul died, David didn't rush to Jerusalem or to Hebron to take over Israel. But the scripture says in verse 1 of chapter 2 that it came to pass after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? David was unwilling, even now, when it appeared like everything was right for his kingship, he was unwilling to take that step without asking for God's direction. It is quite often the case that when we are promoted to some new level of expertise, we forget how we got there and who made it possible. It is refreshing to see that in the early days of David's leadership, he is still learning the importance of waiting upon the Lord for the next move. And he asks God for direction. It is encouraging to understand that David had learned at least one thing in his wilderness experience, and that is he was taking a great risk if he moved on his own. He was better to wait for the Lord's timing. Now, God's directions to David were to go to Hebron. And even in this, David does not seem to go in royal announcement, but he just goes and he settles into that city until the men of Judah come and talk with him about his leadership over them. Notice secondly then, he requested clear counsel from the Lord concerning his next move. The third principle is quite interesting. He received a fresh anointing from the Lord. Now that he has become the king, he receives a fresh anointing from the Lord. I have a book on the life of David that has a chapter in it, and the chapter is entitled, Thrice Anointed, or Anointed Three Times. And you know that's true. David was anointed as king of Israel three different times. He was anointed by Samuel when he was a lad of 15 years of age. Then, as we shall see in a moment, he was anointed by the men of Judah when he moved into Hebron. And finally, at the end of our message, he is anointed by all of the people of Israel, and then he is king. Anointed three times. Now, I suppose we could pass over that as simply a matter of history, but I don't want to do it because there's a great lesson here for all of us. The lesson is this, that whenever God gives to us a new assignment, it is always good for us to seek a fresh anointing from the Lord. Dr. F.B. Meyer, who has written a great uh, history of the life of David, has captured that in the following statement. He said, we cannot turn from this second anointing of David without emphasizing the obvious lesson that at each great crisis of your life, and especially when standing on the threshold of some new and enlarged sphere of service, we should seek and receive a fresh anointing to fit us for the fresh demands. There should be successive and repeated anointings in our life, listing as our opportunities 
For service, we should list also the anointings that accompany them. We should never make the mistake to always go back to the one anointing in our lives which we have received. We must be anointed with fresh oil when we leave high school and head for college. And again, when stepping out from the college hallways to the first assignment, and when standing at the altar to become a husband or a wife, or when bending over the cradle of our first child, when summoned to public office in church or in state, each new step should be accompanied and characterized by a definite anointing and waiting upon God, that there may be a fresh endowment of power, a recharging of the Spirit with God's power and might. What Dr. Meyer has said is quite clear. Every student of the Bible knows that the anointing of the oil of the Old Testament was a type and symbol of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Just as Samuel poured the oil on David and anointed him physically as king, we are told that those of us who live today are anointed by the Holy Spirit with special endowments for service and for work. And wise is the person who stands on the threshold of some new opportunity out in the business world or in the church in serving God who recognizes that he is not fit for this new assignment if God does not clothe himself in that person with the Holy Spirit. And so David recognizes as he stands on the threshold of this new opportunity that it's important for him to be anointed afresh from God. Number four, as we study these principles of David's early rulership in Israel, we learn, number four, that he repaid the debts owed to his predecessor. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? Here is David the king, and he's taking care of the unfinished business that related to Saul. I suppose David could have assumed, hey, it's Saul's problem, not mine. Saul is history. I am the present let Saul be gone and let's get on with the future. But once again, the tender heart of David is everywhere evident. The story is like this. If you remember when Saul was killed, the Philistines came upon him after he had committed suicide and they decapitated him. They cut off his head as well as uh, the heads of his sons. And the Bible says they took their bodies and they hung them up on the wall of Bashan so that the Philistines could come by and wag their heads and have sport with the fallen leaders of God's people. And the Bible says that there was a group of men who heard about this who lived in Jabesh Gilead. And they were overwhelmed at what had happened to their king. And in an act of valiancy and in an act of, of risk, they went to the place where these bodies were on display and they took them down and they took them back to their hometown. And the scripture says they burned their bodies with fire. And by the way, that's the only place I know of in the Bible where there's the record of a cremation. And they buried the remains of their bodies in the ground. And they did that because they did not want the enemies of God to make fun of and to have sport with their leaders. And they didn't want the testimony of God to be drugged through the dirt. And they didn't want Saul and his history and his name to be repudiated. And now that that's over and David's king, I want you to notice what he does. Verse 5 of chapter 2. 
And David sent messengers unto the men of Jabesh Gilead and said unto them, Blessed be ye of the Lord, that ye have showed this kindness unto your Lord, even unto Saul, and have buried him. And now the Lord show kindness and truth unto you, and I also will requite you this kindness, because you have done this thing. Therefore now let your hands be strengthened, be ye valiant, for your master Saul is dead, and also the house of Judah have anointed me king over them. What is David doing? He's just going back and taking care of the things that still remain to be done from the man who was before him. I don't know if you recognize men and women how uncommon that is. That is a very uncommon practice in today's world. We are so anxious often to get to the next rung of the ladder that once we have arrived, we like to forget everything that has gone on before that moment and put it out of our mind. Here is a picture of the kind of person David was. He is willing to repay the debts owed to his predecessor. This happened to be a debt of kindness. Notice number five. He relied on God to establish his leadership. I wish we had time to read every verse about David, and obviously if we did that, we'll never get through because there are 62 chapters on the life of David, and there are all kinds of little uh, subplots that are going on in his life, and we have to make some progress through this or we won't ever get finished. And so I need to just give you a little survey statement of the second chapter of Second Samuel. You would not be surprised, I'm sure, to learn that when David was anointed king of Israel, there were still some who thought that Saul's sons should be king. When David was anointed king by Judah, there were still some people in Israel who wanted the son of Saul or one of his children to come to the throne. And so there was a faction now between these two camps. Over here was the friend of Saul by the name of Abner, and over here was the friend of David by the name of Joab. And if you read the second chapter, what you're going to see is conflict between Abner and Joab. Abner trying to fight for one of Saul's men to be king. Joab representing David, who has been anointed king by God. And they have this skirmish between these two factions. One of them is rather strange, I have to admit. In fact, if your Bibles are open, you might want to look at verses 14 through 16 in the second chapter. And let me explain to you what's happening. These two enemies, Joab and Abner, come together to try to discuss their differences. And the Bible says in verse 13 that they met together by the pool of Gibeon and they sat down, the one on the one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, let the young men now arise and play before us. And Joab said, let them arise. Now, here's what they're going to do. Apparently, remembering Goliath and David, who, who represented their nations in war, these two men decided it wasn't a good idea for all of their men to die. So they each chose 12 representatives. Abner had 12 men. Joab had 12 men. And now they decided they're going to let those 12 men fight it out. And whoever's left... Whoever wins, well, that will be the person then who becomes the king. Now watch what happens. It didn't work. Let me tell you, it was a very bad idea. Here's what happened. And then there arose and went over by number 12 of Benjamin, which pertaineth to Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and 12 of the servants of David. And they caught every one his fellow by the head and thrust his sword in his fellow's side, and they all fell down together. All 24 of them got killed. They killed each other off. They went and grabbed each other by the head and with one hand on the head and the other hand on the sword. I know exactly how they did this. I tried to figure this out in my mind. But it was 
it was a total cancellation. They canceled each other out, and then they're all dead. I would suggest to you that one thing we could learn from that's probably not a good way to settle any disputes. So in the rest of the chapter now, the armies get involved, and what happens in general is that Saul's army is no match for Joab and David's army. In fact, later on in the chapter, you'll discover in verse 30 that Joab returned from following Abner when he had gathered all the people together. There lacked of David's servants 19 men plus one, so they only lost 20. David's army only lost 20. But notice in verse 31, But the servants of David had smitten of Benjamin and Abner's men, so that 303 score men died. So David's men only lost 20, but of Saul's army under Abner, they lost 360. And to summarize it all up, uh, you can see in verse 1 of chapter 3 that there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David waxed stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. And before long, the house of Saul has totally been phased out, and David is in control. Now, listen carefully. Here's what's involved in all of this. Even after David was anointed king, even after he was put into the place of responsibility, you still do not see David aggressively going out and trying to annihilate all the competition. But he awaits the moment of confrontation as it comes to him. And when it comes to him, he faces it. But he doesn't initiate it. David has obviously learned to take life as God gives it out to him, to face it a day at a time as God puts it in front of him, to fight the battles that God God allows him to fight and not to initiate any battles that God doesn't initiate. He allows God to gradually allow this kingdom, which is his in precept, to become his in practicality on God's terms, in God's way, according to God's time schedule. Now, I say all of that very quickly and very simply, but I got to tell you something. That is the hardest thing in the world anybody ever does. When you know that God has something for you to do, and you think you know what to do, but God is saying to you, not now. And you want to jump ahead and do it yourself, and yet you are forced to wait upon God's timing. And David is learning that lesson, and he has established himself now in leadership, and he has allowed himself to be God's responder, not God's initiator. The last principle that I want to share with you from these early days of David's life as king is this. And this is a very precious and, and a rather sweet presentation of the sensitive spirit of this man we call King David. Number six is he remembered the promises he had made before he became the king. Now I want to say before we look at these verses that that again is unusual. Ask any politician that you know how many people forget the promises that are made to them on their way up the ladder. Here's a man who will promise anything if you will help him get elected, but then he gets elected and he can't even remember your name. It would have been easy for David to have come to this position of great power over the Jews, over the people of Israel, and have forgotten the promises he made. But remember, integrity is keeping a commitment after the circumstances under which the commitment was made have changed. Amen. A tremendous illustration and a good definition of integrity. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll continue our discussion of David the King tomorrow right here on This Good Station. 
In the meantime, before we say our final goodbye, let me remind you again of the special opportunity we're making available to all of our listening friends to join us as we tour Israel in March of 2024. We're going to visit Jerusalem and Galilee, the Dead Sea, the Jordan River. We'll baptize people in the Jordan River. We'll go to Masada. We'll see uh, so many things. And in Jerusalem, we'll spend days looking at all of the special sites with a very special communion service uh, in the place where the tomb is, where Jesus was buried and from which he uh, was resurrected. So many wonderful things. And friends, you can come. You can be with us. We have plans that will enable you to join us. But be sure and go to davidjeremiah.org and get all the information so you can be a part of our tour to Israel in March of next year. We'll see you right here tomorrow. Thanks for listening. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Tender Warrior, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of The God Shot, a devotional focused on God's character by teacher and podcast host Tara Lee Cobble. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in a variety of attractive cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Tender Warrior, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Many people say they know Jesus, but all too often they know about him, but they don't truly know him. For this reason, Dr. David Jeremiah wrote The Jesus You May Not Know, which provides insight about his eternal nature and role on earth and in heaven. This book is yours with a gift of any amount to Turning Point. And for donations of $75 or more, you'll receive the book, He Is Bookmark, Study Guide, and CD or DVD album. Go to davidjeremiah.ca. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. For more than 40 years, Dr. David Jeremiah has faithfully preached God's Word. And as the world changes, how the message is delivered expands. Turning Point Plus was created as the next step in our digital broadcast ministry. And it's available instantly when you sign up to support Turning Point with an automatic monthly gift of any amount. Learn more and access more than 12,000 audio and video messages at turningpointplus.org. In talking about the limitations of science, one commentator wrote, When science finishes putting men on the moon, maybe it could tackle the problem of getting pigeons down off public buildings. Whether pigeons on buildings are a huge problem or not, I don't know. But this observation points out something to remember. Science can't do everything. There is no pill to heal a broken heart and no medical prescription to restore hope when all is lost. 
For some things in life, the most important things, only God is able. If you have tried the best science has to offer, I encourage you to give God a chance. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's solutions on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.